God. So today we're going to talk about the fact that you are healed by an oath and a promise. Amen. You're healed by an oath and a promise. You have God's word on your healing. You have God's word on your salvation. You have God's word. And that word is enough to carry you through every challenge that would come uh, to your physical man, every challenge that would come to your spirit. You know, there are spiritual challenges where the enemy will tempt us to veer off course with God, tempt us to go back into the world, get into sin, all of those things. But God's word is sufficient to uh, take you through every challenge because of the way his word is backed up. It is sealed with an oath and a promise. And so we're going to talk about the strength of those two immutable things in our lives and to give you confidence in God that if God says he's going to do something, he will do it. You can trust God. It depends more on God to perform than it does on you to live what we call right. Amen. He's taken care of right living through the atonement. So that rightness that he did on our behalf swallows up all the wrongness that we could ever do in life. Amen. We have an advocate when we sin. Our sins are forgiven. I would love it if we could live in a church where we are more conscious of our righteousness and the fact that we are forgiven than we are of our mistakes. Mistakes we do, amen. Mistakes we do have to correct, but you live holy by the strength of the Spirit of God. You don't live holy by your own strength, amen. It is his holiness that guides us through life. That enables us to receive everything he's provided for us. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to take you first to 1 Corinthians 11.25 because uh, these things were talked about in communion. Uh, Jesus Christ gave us the communion table as a commemoration of his work on the cross that ensured our covenant with him. He says here in 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 23, Paul is just repeating what Jesus has said. He said it in the Gospels. He said, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show for the Lord's death until he comes. And so with this we know that Jesus had two elements that symbolized something. The two elements were the bread and the wine. He said that the wine represented his blood. The blood secures your covenant and it is a part of an oath that is made over your life and over the life of everyone who would enter into this covenant. The body or the bread, the bread is representative of the Lord's body that was broken for you. As a substitute for the brokenness in your life. Anything that the word broken really is is a a term symbolizing any breach in the original intent 
design and purpose for your mortal body. So brokenness would be anything that has caused a disruption of your peace, a disruption of your health, a disruption of your your sense of well-being, your contentment. And so brokenness really comes in with sin. If somebody sins against you, you're broken. If somebody takes something from you, you're broken. When you sin, you're broken. Your fellowship is broken with God. And so the word, the brokenness, the, the antidote for brokenness is found in God's word for peace, shalom. Which means nothing missing, nothing broken. So Jesus actually had his body broken as a substitute for your brokenness. So that in his life you can be made whole again. When he would go to certain people, the man who had laid on the mat at the the pool of Bethesda for 38 years or something like that. Some insurmountable number of years. Jesus came to one him one day and he said, would you be made whole? He said, would you like to let me help you not just to get up off that mat and take you somewhere and not just to give you a new cup so you can collect some coins in it. But would you be made whole? Would you like to forget about this whole thing ever happened to you and be made a new creature in me? It's really what he's asking for. Of course, the man can't believe his ears being made whole. That's something that's. Far distant for most of us. You know, if we've suffered some kind of trauma in our lives, we think we'll never get over certain things. The world will even tell you that. You know, oh, oh you got to have give your kids ten hugs a day at least. I mean, come on, you got a job. You got to cook. Amen. And they talking about a 38-year-old man. You know, it's time for hugging. Hugging there. Come on now. You know, the world exaggerates things. Why? Because they have no remedy for it. See, for them, it will never be remedied. But in Christ, amen, in Christ, we are made whole. Amen? We're whole. Nothing's missing. Nothing broken. And Jesus wants to return to you everything that's ever been stolen from you. Amen? If, if, if the enemy uh, broke your home up. And you had rejection most of your life. Or there was emotional pain in your life. Joyce Meyer built her whole ministry. The, the, the millions of, of uh, supporters she has worldwide. Built on a testimony of will thou be made whole. Of how God, how she started out so broken. And God through his mercy and his love made her whole again. Amen. And so this wholeness is something that's extremely important to God. It should be extremely important to us. We should never stop uh, pursuing God until we've received every contentment that he wants to give us. Every promise that he wants to give us. Why? Because it's sealed with an oath and a promise. Amen. And so that makes it secure. That makes it a sure thing for us. That makes it an irrevocable agreement from God. To perform exactly what he says he's going to do in his word. That is if the enemy's stolen your marriage. If he's stolen your children. If he's stolen your job. If he's stolen your house. Whatever he's taken from you. God says that I have sworn by an oath and a promise. That these things will be returned to you. Just ask me. Keep believing. Don't quit believing. And stand on my word. Talk to me in my Bible. Seek me for the things that you need. 
Come to me when you have trouble. And I will answer and I will do extraordinary things that you've never seen before. Great and mighty things that you know nothing about. There's so many restorations that God has for us that we've never seen before. We can't conceive of some of the things that he's prepared for us. Now the Bible tells you that eye has not seen nor ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man. You can't even conceive on the inside of you what he has. And he said for the things he's prepared for us not over in heaven somewhere but prepared period. He didn't say where it was. I like that. Because you don't have to limit it to sometime in the distant future. You can pull it into the now into your life. This is where it's going to benefit you. This is where being made whole will benefit you. Is in the now life that you walk in this earth. You don't have to go through life afraid of people. Feeling insecure. Feeling like you don't fit and you don't belong. God has made you acceptable in the beloved. He sealed that. Amen. With an oath and a promise. So in Hebrews chapter 6, we'll go there. Yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> now I just said it. Go there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6. We'll start in verse 13. It says, For when God made promise to Abraham, and he is our father, the Bible says those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So we are heirs of the promise that was given to Abraham through faith. And he says, Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God could swear. He looked around and couldn't find anybody greater than himself. Huh? And so he swore to himself by himself. He said, I swear to myself. I take an oath and a pledge on my own life. Now when people swore, they swore against something greater and more powerful than themselves. Huh? You had to have something in a higher bank in order for your oath to be enforceable. You couldn't swear on yourself. Especially if you can find somebody greater and more powerful. You had to go to the highest power in order for that oath to be enforceable. That's why people wouldn't like in a court, a court of law. They still use the Bible. They're trying to kick the Bible out of everything. But I wouldn't let nobody want anybody testifying. Because putting your hand on that Bible, what that does, let me see your Bible a second, Chuck. You can keep your, yeah. Putting your hand on that Bible, what that says is, if I'm lying in any of my testimony in here, I give God permission to come after me. I give God permission to punish me according to whatever his standard of punishment is. And that's when you, that's, that's how an oath was or your promises were made powerful by the oath that backed them up. A promise is nothing, huh? We've all all lived in the nothingness of promises. Let me have. Let me hold ten dollars. I get back to you Friday. I promise. Now people going through the pinky swear, huh? Or you know the mafia. Oh, you take up my grandmother's eyes. I swear on my grandmother's eyes. You know, everybody's grandmother's eyes were precious. 
most people do not ask God to punish them when they don't mean you any good. See, if they just want to take their money, they don't get God involved in that. See? Because they don't want God involved in it. Now, I'll tell you where God does get involved, where people's faith is highly involved in certain things. There are certain things, pledges that are made by people that are blood enforced because they shed blood in order to make those promises. So there's some, still some blood oaths that are recognized in this earth and on this earth. For instance, if, you, if you're a high up in the mafia, you know if you're a maid, what they call a maid man. You get that high up in the mafia. Mafiosi always swear and, and they say if, if we, and they drink, either drink one another's blood or they cut blood and they shed blood. Whenever blood is shed, that's an enforceable oath in the realm of the spirit. Amen. Whenever blood is shed and blood is sworn against, that's an enforceable oath in the realm of the spirit. And the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats was enforceable. For that old covenant law. Until a higher blood is shed. Amen. When a higher blood is shed. Everything else is canceled out. But there are mafia people who will, will take the blood oath with one another. They mingle their blood. And they'll swear by one another. And they will commit to not tell on each other. Not share any of the secrets of their organization. And if... I share these secrets or I testify against one of my brothers. May my throat be burned out with cancer. And they will tell you. Oh, if you look at death certificates of mafia people who have been forced to testify against it over and over again. Throat cancer. Throat cancer. Throat cancer. All the way down the line. John Gotti died of throat cancer and so these things are enforceable now if you tell a mafia person you can get out of this if you get saved and plead the blood of jesus over what you've sworn and repent of that swear you get free of it huh but it's so enforceable to them very few of them ever do it they feel and because spirits that that enforce these things live among them and they constantly intimidate them. And so if you're intimidated and you're fearful of throat cancer all of your life and you violate your promise, you will succumb to it just out of fear and intimidation that those spirits are sent after you to enforce those things. But oh, the blood of Jesus. Amen. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It cancels out all previous shed blood. Every oath that's been, been spoken under uh, previous blood to be enforced, this cancels it out. And so he says, by, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself to himself and pledged himself in this covenant that we have. Saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. Whenever you see that word surely, that means an oath is involved. Word surely and verily. What Jesus is saying, remember he would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. He said, I swear, I swear. That's why the Pharisees hated him. Who is this man that's swearing? You, if you're going to swear something, you've got to swear against the altar and against the temple and all this stuff. He, who is this man who's swearing on his own? 
he could swear by no higher, so he did what? He swore by himself. Pharisees, when they would make their flimsy promise, I swear on the altar, I swear on the temple, I swear. They were always swearing on something they felt to be higher than themselves. They never involved God. But the things related to God. Jesus was the only one who came and said, I swear, I swear. Period. He could swear by no higher. So he swore by himself. And that ticked them off to no end. Who is this man who's swearing on himself? Why isn't he mentioned in the altar in the temple? Who does he think he is? He was the son of God. The king of kings. He was God incarnate. Amen. So he said, verily, verily. He said, surely, I swear, I swear, I swear that I will do this for you. God is the only one who's allowed to swear in this life. Amen. He says, don't, don't say anymore. Don't swear on anything. And he let your yes be yes and your no be your no. Because Jesus is the one who holds the oath of all promises made. Amen. He holds the highest position. So he can swear by no higher. He swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. So God is saying blessing and multiplication I've given an oath that I will do that for you. Now these seem like simple things. When we think about serious things that we want in life, we want to want to be healed, we want to be saved from poverty, anything drastic happening. But Jesus said, I've staked my life against the fact that I'm always going to bless you. Your life will always be a life of increase. It will never be a life that goes downhill and continues to slide down until you hit right bottom. He says increase. You're going up. Amen. He said, and I swear to you, I swear to you that I'm going to do this for you. Who has that power but God? Amen. And so Jesus was able to swear on things that he knew were important to people. When he would say those words, he emphasized the things that he knew were important to man. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And he said, for men truly swear by the greater. Like they can swear against their grandmother's eyes or they swear against their children or something like that. Something that's uh, significant and important to them. He said, but surely men swear by the greater. And an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So what you want to do is people put people's minds at rest. When you swear against something greater than yourself, you put people's minds at rest about that promise. He says, so an oath of confirmation. So the oath confirms your promise. Your oath ratifies your promise. Your oath ensures your promise. Other than that, we're just speaking flimsy words to one another. So put God in a different category. He's not just speaking flimsy words to us. His word is not contingent on your perfect behavior all the time and never doing anything wrong. And your faith's got to be just where it's supposed to be. Remember the days when you were just saved and you spit out prayers the best way you knew how. And every day that you prayed and every time you prayed, God did something big for you. We need to get back to the simplicity of faith like that. Just spit it out the best way you got. I need this and I need this bad. 
God, I want this. If you don't come through for me today, nothing good is ever going to happen. I prayed like that before. God, I got to see you do something by 6 o'clock this evening or I just, you know, going to jump off the house or something, you know. I mean, we pray what we say, crazy prayers like that. But they were sincere. They were fervent. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person. But he looks more at your righteousness and your desire to have it than he does at your perfection. Because our imperfections are easily taken care of now that Jesus has died. Anything, don't ever think of anything. I don't care what it is you think you did wrong or what you think you mess up all the time. It does not stop you from receiving from God. It does not stop you from being a child of God. Why? Because he's preached it. He's put it on an oath and a promise. In other words, his blood is stronger than your mess ups. We have promises staked in his blood. If he wanted you to do everything perfect to, to get something from him, he never would have swore on his own life. He would said, I'm not going to the cross. I'm going to make them do everything right. And why do we still continue to try and live under that pressure of perfect life in order to get something from God? Huh? It's not right. The devil puts you back under that condemnation. He likes to find you playing around on his front porch. Mm-hmm. So he can go tell on you. Huh? He does. And once that rascal started lying on you and messing your head up with his lies, you have to do some super entangling to get your mind free of a lot of this stuff. Especially as Christians. I hate to see Christians living under condemnation. And I hate to see them condemning other people too. Mostly when that dog gets on your trail, you sick him on everybody else. And everything that comes out of your mouth has to do with condemnation. And so if, if we will stay out from under that and understand that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Well, I don't know about future. You're going to do something wrong. Trust me. As long as you live on this earth, you, you slate it for a mess up. There's one on your schedule. Everybody's schedule. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, I've tried it both ways. I've tried just living perfect and expecting if I live perfectly, God was going to bless me. Amen. I realized that was wrong. Amen. We live in the mercy of God. Every day, new mercies. Amen. So go back to the way you used to be when you were first a believer. Living off the mercy of God. When you pray, not being altogether sure what was going to happen. But a little bit by little bit, you got more confidence in God. Amen. And you got confidence because you had experience with him. And your faith grew. It wasn't because of your perfect living. We can't earn anything from God, folks. Now, we can be obedient and reap the fruit of faithfulness in our lives. But that's a totally different thing of doing, living everything right and living cautiously to walk some kind of chalk line so God can bless us. It's not about that. It's about trusting him. He is your chalk line. Amen. He is your plumb line. Whatever way God tells you to go, you go that way and let him bless your life. And so he says in verse 17, he said, we said an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So once the oath is ratified, you don't, you don't get yourself tangled up in uh, what do I need to do for God to bless me anymore. It's an, it should be an end of the striving within ourselves about, you know, the first thing we do if we have to wait for God to do anything. Huh? You know, uh, 
God gives us fruit so waiting doesn't bug us. Huh? He gives you fruit so waiting doesn't bug you. Huh? You know how you know if your kids come home from school and you know they you know they've been playing in school and running around and nowadays they get chauffeur driven everywhere or where or get on a bus but back in the old days when people came in the house they were always hungry. And so what do you do? Your kids come in, Ma, can I have Ma? Oh, dinner ain't done. Oh, dinner ain't done. Yeah. What did you do for them? Don't tell me what y'all did. I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to. Okay, I don't have time to go through all this. <laughs> Slapped them. Put them down the basement. Uh-huh. You gave them what's called a to tide them over. Until the meal came, right? Well, God does the same thing with us. He gives us fruit of the Spirit to live off of until the promise comes and manifests in its reality. And then after a while, you get accustomed, you get the hint, and you think to yourself, this fruit is pretty good. And he wants you to make that transfer in your understanding so you live more off of the fruit of the spirit of relationship with God than you do for the promise, the biggie that you've been hanging all your your spiritual reputation on. And you know how we get sometimes, God, if I don't get this, if you don't give me this answer, they're going to look at me funny. They're going to look at you funny anyway. Because you're funny sometimes. You understand what I'm saying? You know, we get the most, we fall out with God over the most ridiculous things. And I can't be sitting up waiting, they're going to think I ain't got no faith. Well, you don't right now, you're not showing it. If you're bugging God about everything. So God sees you whining and complaining, he said, stick that in your mouth. Here, eat this piece of fruit. Eat this patience. Eat this faithfulness. Huh? Eat this kindness. You eat some of this. Until the promise comes. Because I swore already. I swore I gave you all the proof I need to give you. That I'm going to do this for you. Now if the blood of my son is not enough proof that I'm going to do this for you. Then I can't help you. Eat this piece of fruit until it's dinner time. Amen. And so we are to live off of the fruit of the spirit of God every day. Much more so than holding our breath from promise to promise. Waiting to exhale. Huh? You might as well exhale and eat what's what's offered, baby, because you ain't getting nothing else. You understand me? So your daddy is home now. He wants to teach you some discipline. Huh? You can beg mom for candy and wear her out and your little teeth rotten. Daddy's going to give you fruit to eat. Huh? So you can grow healthy and strong. And so God does this. And I've heard people who are much wiser than me and God say things like, the longer you have to wait, the better it is for you. Amen. See, we don't get many hand claps on that kind of stuff. Everybody wants everything instantaneous. Huh? Well, this ain't the bibbidi-bobbidi-boo church. Amen. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ain't no witches and witchcraft up in here making things appear and disappear. God wants his children to be like him. Amen. The just shall live by faith. You're going to live every day confident 
that if you never see it in this life, God still is worthy of praise. He still promised it to you. You're still entitled to get it and you're still going to get it. Huh? Some of us will go to heaven believing God for things. But the important thing is that you have faith in God. You endure that your faith endures to the end. Amen. So he says in verse 17, we're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. Confirmed it by God is more willing abundantly to show to us the immutability of his counsel, which means God wants to will you to know his character more than he wants you to know anything. He wants you to have relationship with a God that you know something about, that you know you can trust, much more than he wants you just to have things. We get so focused on things sometimes as, as the importance of why we live. Sometimes we think we can't uh, talk to people about where we are in certain things that we're praying about because we think they're going to judge us that we don't have enough faith is why we're still waiting on something. And so we, we get into company of the saints and, oh, all is well. I'm blessed and highly favored. huh? And you can be hurting, you can be broke, you can be needing everything. You'll never say it around the people of God. Why? Because we think it's so important. We think our Christianity and our relationship with God uh, hinges on our possession of things. God is much more after you getting to know what kind of God he is. Amen. He wants you to know his character. He wants you to know. He wants you to be abundantly uh, uh, convinced of his faithfulness, of his goodness, of his trustworthiness, of his love for you. He wants you to know him as a person. Not just what you can do for him or what he can do for you. And so we need to understand what God's after when he does these things. And he says he's more abundantly willing to show to us the immutability of his counsel. He wants to show to us that he don't change. And you know the way he shows that to us? He lets us go through the changes. And see that he's still standing. He's still God. He's still on the throne. He still loves you. He still gets you up every morning. He'll still get you that job that you want. He'll still get you through school and get your finances together for you. He's an unchanging God. To be immutable means to be unchanging over time. There's that word time again. How do you know God's unchanging over time? Because time has elapsed a lot since you first prayed for that thing you holding your breath for. Huh? You see, he's unchanging. He still loves you. When you worship him, you still feel his presence. If you need something in an emergency, he'll come through for you. You just have to call on his name and he's right there for you. So he doesn't change. And if we don't go through some things that take time in our lives, we'll never know that he's unchanging over time. Immutable also means unable to be changed. Your God cannot be changed. That means his laws are going to work. No matter how loud loud we scream. No matter how many people do wrong to us. And he tells us go love them anyway. Go help them anyway. You see a saint in trouble. And they are the saint that dislikes you the most. So you say. 
They don't speak to me. Who spoke first? Who spoke second? Who spoke third? God is not interested in any of that. But he wants you to see that he will not change. Many times the things that we're needing so desperately, God would have to change in order to give them to you as quickly as you want. But he's going to let you see he does not change. Amen. He is ageless. That means that his wisdom is good yesterday, today, and forever. His laws are the same. I don't care what day and age we live in. You know, people who want to see gays married now. Well, this is this is the uh, new millennium. This is tw- in 2015. You mean you still feel that way? Uh-huh. Because I serve a God who is unchanging and he lives in me and he tells me what to do. He tells me how to live. He was good enough to save me. He's good enough to live for every day. Amen. And so we don't change. God wants us to be ageless and changeless. It means to be constant and enduring. To be permanent, perpetual, stable, unalterable, unable to be modified, immutable. So God's counsel, his mind, his thinking, what he says to us is immutable. It will never change because it's perfect at all times. Why would perfection ever have to change? So God never made a mistake in what he said. He never made a mistake in any of his laws. He doesn't make mistakes. If he makes mistakes, the sun would refuse to get up every morning. You'd never be able to be, to be dependent on anything in life if God were to change. So he never changes. And he never changes in his love toward you. He never changes that he's going to give you what he told you he's going to give you. He didn't change his mind. I don't care how long it's been. Huh? It's up to you if you believe him and if you enjoy the things that he gives you. So he wants us to live for him on a daily basis. So he said it was impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation. Not doubt, not fear, not taking God's pulse every five minutes to see if he's still alive so he can give you something. Huh? Checking in on God. God, you still with me? You still here? Did you hear me, God? Did you hear what I mean? He wants us to have strong consolation. To have strong consolation means that I don't care how upset you are about whatever event in your life that traumatized you God has sworn certain promises to us in such a way with an oath and a promise he's sworn these things to us in such a way that I don't care if if people say well you know they'll never that was so traumatic they'll never recover what they saw they'll never recover from it we have people who have been in the military they come back with post-traumatic stress disorder and i'm not minimizing that at all but if those people know god and if they have god in their lives if they're born again there is a place in god where you can have strong consolation stronger than your problem consolation stronger than what you've been through consolation the word consolation does not mean somebody hugging you in petting you and telling you to calm down because some strong consolation is the, that word console or counselor paraclete it's the same root for what we have uh, when we say helper the holy spirit is your helper 
Amen. The Holy Spirit is the one called alongside of you. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, the one that gives you consolation. He consoles you. When God says consoling and consolation, it has more to do with getting you healed, back on your feet, back running again, and back in the race. The one who gives you consolation or the paraclete, the one who's called beside as your helper, he helps you get up and continue living for God. He doesn't pet you and let you lie down and feel sorry for yourself because of something trying. That's strong consolation. That's the consolation that will bring you back and make you whole. Restore everything that's been stolen from you. So if you have nervous uh, uh, breakdown or nervous disorder because of what you've been through in life, strong consolation heals your mind, restores your soul, gets your spirit strong, gets you back in the Word, gets you up and says, you know what, that stuff you were doing before that tore your life up, that wasn't God's plan for you anyway. He's got much higher things for you to do. That's strong consolation. That is, if your old life is messed up, he'll put you back together stronger than you were before and make your new life so enjoyable, you'll forget the past. Huh? Look at Joseph. God said when he got, when Joseph got out of prison, I'm, I'm sure his mind was in shock for at least the first two years. I mean, you don't live in prison and falsely accused and all that wrong stuff. Your brothers. I mean, where's a person going to turn? Your family has sold you out, put you out, given you away, all because of jealousy. Then you get to one place you think you're doing good and somebody lies on you. You get thrown in prison. You know, here I was, I was doing it the best I could right where I was. And God looked down at him and says, you know what? You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet, Joseph. You just stick with me. He said, I'm going to give you strong consolation. In other words, I'm going to show you the strength of my covenant with you. The strength of, remember that dream you had, Joseph? I'm going to make that thing come to pass. That dream is not dead. Not by a long shot. So you get strong consolation. And so God begins to work with Joseph. He brings him out of the prison. Sets him up. As a prime minister of Egypt. Egypt was the wealthiest country in the world at that time. But it was experiencing famine. God put Joseph in there at a time with something. It was simple for Joseph to contact God and trust God. You know why? Because he's been all them years in prison having to rely on nothing but God. See, you're in a good place when you don't have everything you've been praying for exactly immediately. And you've got to hang in there and rely and trust God. See, once you get in that place of trust with God, you don't trust in riches anymore. You don't trust in the natural anymore. You stay in the secret place of the Most High so that you can, can live and you can survive. He was more comfortable being in his prison cell with God than he was out being in natural things. And so when God started to bless him, he blessing upon blessing. He got the robe. He got the ring. He got the power. He got the servants under him. He got all of that stuff. But he still had a messed up mind from a bad family history. And God brought him a wife and children. The first child he called Manasseh. God has made me to forget the affliction of my upbringing. 
God will make you forget. He'll make you. You won't be able to find it in your memory anymore to cry about and to pull it out with your whiskey and your pig foot. You understand what I'm saying? You, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know that you don't have them that like that no more because you say, but you got something you pull out when you want to feel sorry for yourself. You know you do. Praise God. Amen. And so God made him to forget all that stuff. He didn't just keep him busy and have a wife that harassed him more than his brothers did. He gave him a nice wife. Amen. With children and happiness beyond measure. Why? Because God seals his promise with an oath. He seals it in his blood. Two immutable things. It makes it impossible for him to lie. If he tells you he'll give you a new life and do exceeding abundantly beyond all you can ask or think, he'll do just that. Don't keep trying to think about stuff that you still want and make yourself miserable. Because God will outdo anything you can think about. You just try and see if he won't do it. Amen. God will make you understand his love to such a degree you get embarrassed to even ask for anything. God, I just love you so much, I don't even understand why you blessed me the way you have. I don't understand how you could still love me after some of the stuff I've done, God. Huh? He'll bless you. He, you, you know, you're no match for him. You might as well just bow and worship and just get the show going on. Are you ready? Just, just go along with the program because you'll never outthink him. You'll never beg him for something he can't give you or won't want to give you. Amen. As long as it don't belong to somebody else. And he'll make you quit that. Huh? May your tongue cleave to the roof of your mouth before you would say something amiss. Amen. David David could whoop some prayer on you. That you you read it in the psalm, you say, Oh my goodness. This thing is serious, amen. You understand what God expects out of you. So our faith must rest in the power of God. Why? Because these things make it impossible for God to lie. And we have strong consolation. Amen. So we have hope as an anchor for our souls. Which means that when you understand what God is doing in your life. And you get caught up in the love of God. In the day-to-day relationship with God, you are so consoled over things that you think you're missing in life. You find out you're not missing anything. You come right back to the same place, God, I don't know why I keep going through this. I don't know why I keep doubting you. You love me so much. At the place of your highest doubt sometimes and your highest disobedience, God will bless you the most. Hmm? He did it with Abraham. Abraham went down to Egypt and tried to give his wife away. And God started blessing Abraham. Gave him cattle and all those things. And the next chapter said, and Abraham was very rich. He didn't get rich out of disobedience. He got rich out of this covenant. When God said, I will bless you, he didn't say, I will bless you when I catch you doing something right. What he did, he blessed him when he caught him doing something wrong. I'm going to say it again. See, this is why you have strong consolation for everything God's promised you. Just when Abraham's down in Egypt telling his wife, you tell him you're my sister. Huh? And she was beautiful. 
Amen. The Bible says she was beautiful. And all the men everywhere they, that man went, everybody whistled at his wife, put pressure on him about her. Huh? He couldn't go, go anywhere where they didn't compliment him on Sarah. Huh? But Sarah was barren. God had shut up her womb. She wasn't barren because she was. they were in sin or they did something wrong. God had shut up her womb because he had something special planned for them. You know, sometimes you uh, snorting and, and snotting and hollering and screaming at God for stuff. And you too, playing it too cheap. He has something special planned for you in that thing. Not something cheap that you want just to, so you can get it and say you got it. Huh? But Abraham and Sarah were. See, this is the thing. Some of them brothers get a half truth and work it like it's a whole truth. See, they were half-sisters and brothers. People married like that. He didn't have, we didn't have the Ten Commandments and the Law of God back in that day. And so they, they, if they had a relationship with God, God would help them with certain things, but he had not given the law yet. And so he married his half-sister. So he would go, when he went some, he's telling only half a lie. <laughs> See, you know that guy, don't you? Uh-huh. He said, you know, just pretend like you're, you're my sister. When we get down there, then brother's going to start putting pressure on me about you. So you're my sister when we get to Egypt. Now, you can be my wife. When, see, it's no wonder they ain't had no kids yet. <laughs> it's an old joke, okay? You're my sister. You're my wife. You're, you know, you stay confused like that nonsense. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, they get. <laughs> somebody caught it. Thank you, Apostle Henry. Thank you, Father. Appreciate it. Somebody caught it. But uh, anyway, they go down to Egypt, and so she's the sister. Amen. And so everybody in Pharaoh's palace, they they recommended Sarah. She went in there, and they said, "This is. She's not married. She has no husband. This man that brought her here is their brother and sister." And so she gets to be part of Pharaoh's harem. For about two nights. And all the men in Egypt were impotent from the time Sarah went in there, including Pharaoh. Huh? Are y'all grown in here? Ask a married man how much he likes that. All hell broke loose in the palace. They said something got to be wrong. So it's got to be that woman. The only thing that's different now than it was two days ago was that woman we all been trying to have sex with is in here now. That's the problem. Who is she? See, God will stop you from messing with a prophet's wife. You understand what I'm saying? You mess around with the wrong people. Huh? So where Abraham did not value her. God did. See, these are immutable things. Can never be changed. God highly values all of us. All of us. They were in a covenant with God. And so Pharaoh said, who is this woman? Get her out of here. God, is something, something's wrong. It's happened to us. God's not pleased with us. And just to get God to be pleased with us again, we will pay her brother everything that we can pay him to get her out of here. So that's how Abraham got very rich. Huh? 
he got very rich right after he had done probably one of the worst things in our eyes that we can conceive a man would do to his wife. Pimp thy wife in the land of Egypt. Huh? Yeah, I did. <laughs> we use great plainness of speech here. Y'all won't, y'all won't think I said something and be confused about it. And God will do the same thing with us. You can just have done the worst thing you could think you can do and the blessing shows up on your doorstep. God's timing for your blessing. Now that is not to encourage y'all to go out and do wrong because you're going to do enough of that on your own. huh? Sometimes before you get out of the door, good, the devil's put something there to trip you up just to mess you up. Hmm? But God's blessings do not stop because of our mistakes. They don't stop because of our problems. They don't stop. When a blessing is on schedule for you, God keeps that schedule for you. It was on that day, that time, that God had made up his mind before. I'm going to put this blessing on Abraham. I'm going to make him very rich. And that blessing is going to be there on schedule and it didn't matter what Abraham was engaged in, just did, did wrong, any of that. It was coming to him anyway. You understand me? The blessings of obedience to God continually come into our lives. But I can tell you one thing. I bet Abraham thought long and hard about that. When all that wealth started coming to him and he knew he had lied about his wife and all that kind of stuff. Made him think long and hard about it, but also it made him trust God all the more. See, you can trust God all the more if you know that it was his faithfulness, his immutability of his counsel, his predetermination to bless you that got you blessed instead of you walking a chalk line to make sure that you could, he could show you, you know, that he would do it because you were being so good. Amen. Our goodness must be him. Our righteousness must be him. It's a spiritual force that we yield to. In order to accomplish the will of God in our lives. But God has blessings prepared for us anyhow. Amen. Amen. It's the seed of the righteous that get wealthy. Amen. So the blood oath uh, secures our covenant with God. The shed blood of Jesus is our security. In spiritual language, that's the down payment on every promise that God has made to you. Is the blood of his son. Not your goodness. Not your uh, extreme giving. Most of our giving is catch up giving anyway. Huh? Tell the truth. Well see I I was tithing but. Well somebody's out as one person. We always doing something but. Ain't we? When we, when in, in, in uh, human covenants, in men's covenants, the two parties that were making covenant with one another would uh, make a, a cut in their wrists. The word covenant really means to cut. And they would make a cut in their wrists and they would, would form a, a handshake like this. And they would drop their hands and they would shake and blood would run 
into both in the palm of the the uh, um, palm of both hands and mingle the blood together. So that was a man's covenant. In the covenant that Jesus cut, he cut it with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no man in there except the man Jesus. So he cut, he swore to himself. He cut a covenant in his own blood, mingled his own blood as a man with the blood of himself as the Son of God on our behalf. Since his blood as a man was sinless and his blood as a son of God is spirit, then we're mixed human blood with pure spirit and what wins out is the spirit life that we live in now. So there's really no human mortal life for us anymore. That life has been swallowed up in eternal life. So your life that you are living now is not a life that will end. It is a life that continues because it's a spiritual life only. There's no more mere human life to us anymore. When you die, this tent that you live in will be taken to a funeral home, hopefully. (laughs) We won't leave it out somewhere. People waiting for you to come back again. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's the shell that we live in. It'll go back to earth. But the part that you live, your soul and your spirit, the the spirit of Christ that lives in you, is eternal. And it will go on to heaven to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen? And so your, your mere human life has been swallowed up in his eternal life. Amen? And so this covenant that we have, that's why there's no curse on it anymore. The curse of sickness is broken because you are not in covenant with God as a person. Jesus moved you out of the way and sinless son of God made covenant with himself. So you don't, you can't get in there to mess it up. There's no curse on it because there's only righteousness in this covenant. You either obey God and stand in his righteousness or you stand out there and act stupid for a few months. You know, and then you come back to yourself and refend and say I'm back in again. That's how it works. So there's no sin, there's no curse on this covenant because there's no sin on it. The old covenant was replaced by the new. It, you, can, you will never, if something is perfect, you don't get rid of it and replace it. Like God says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But because the old covenant was weak, because it had to be carried out through human flesh, it was done away with. So we don't have to carry out this covenant in human flesh. We carry it out in the spirit of the Son of God who lives in us, loved us, died for us. When God first introduced, he introduced the shadow of the new covenant. When he put Abraham to sleep. Remember he told him to go get a a bird and go get an animal and slice it in half. And it said a smoking furnace and a burning lamp walked through the pieces. Abraham was asleep. So there was a picture of the new covenant in which no man's flesh would have to carry out anything. You carry it out through the power of the Son of God. Amen? So you either yield to him and live this life through him, or you don't get nothing. You understand what I'm saying? You sit on the sidelines and let his life pass you by. But you can't mess this up. Don't let anybody try to put a curse back on you again. So the curse of sickness is broken because it doesn't have anything to do with you anyway. 
He said, I swore by no higher, so I swear by myself. Me by myself cut this covenant for you. Me by myself paid for your sin. Me by myself was your substitute. Me by myself took 39 stripes on my body. There's no telling how long they whipped him. Took more than enough stripes to pay for sickness. More than enough stripes. And he being a substitute, God looked down and saw him and he was pleased with what he did. And he let you off the hook. Totally. Totally off the hook. You don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to get a time out because you disobeyed somebody. I'm going to say it again. You know, we like to punish ourselves. You know, when you uh, did super nanny, they teach the kids to get themselves their own time out. The kid take his, his uh, cell phone with all the games right in the time out. You know, I mean, come on now. If you're self-punishing, you cheat. We don't pay full price, do we? That's what I thought. So cut it out, okay? Don't even entertain the thought that you punish yourself for your sin or feel bad for a few days and and then you think God's pleased it pleased him to bruise his son on your behalf that's what pleased God the perfect sacrifice pleases God his blood was shed for us for our justification so to be justified means that the gavel has come down and you've been found not guilty you're justified Just believe it. I know it's hard to believe. But we should work harder at believing these things than we do trying to figure out what we did wrong. That we still waiting on God to do something for us. You're sanctified. That means you're set apart to his holiness. Not your own. His. His holiness. His blood is a propitiation. That means it's payment for your sin. Everything's paid for. And the blood is a ransom for you. Amen. So it got you out of debt in every area of your life. You know the people that preach debt free and we don't like them? They're on to something. See they know the power of the blood. That it pays for every debt. You know some of the things that you would do to try to get yourself in debt. God will block. If he really wants you. to, to, If you're really living in faith on this thing. And you want God to prove himself to you. And he'll show you that you can live without Louis Vuitton. Or the fake Louis. Because I know what them real ones cost. huh? I get on eBay. And that's the used ones. You know what I'm saying? Them things is too high for saints. You gotta pray. You gotta be praying to get some of that stuff and not sweat it too bad. You know, or Birkin bags. You know, people don't even talk about them. No, he said twenty thousand dollars. See, you, you can't go there. So God will will let you <laughs> get on them handbags <laughs> off eBay, Barb. Don't go there anymore. But you know what I'm saying. There are things that we would get into debt for that God won't let us. Now, I've been putting bids in on some stuff. How do you think I know these things? You are the high bidder. 
And I sit there and sweat. You have been out there. Oh, glory. Dodge the bullet again. See, that's a sure cure for covetousness. He again let you get that close to paying for it. This is a healing school. I don't know how I've been all over the room here. Just praise the Lord. Amen. But your debts have been canceled. Past, present, and future. Amen. You just stay with the plan of God. Now that doesn't mean you go out frivolously getting yourself in debt to see if God's going to get you out. huh? But he will guide your steps in such a way that that scripture becomes real and more than real in your life. Amen. So God could swear by no higher. He swore by himself. The oath holds God against the penalty of his own death if he does not keep a promise to us. So God says, I'll take my life again. He, always t- he already took the life of his son, the mortal life of his son, in order as payment for our sins. Now that that blood has been shed, all debt is paid. And so he is saying, I'll swear my blood again if I don't keep my word to you. Which means that God would cease to exist and take the earth with him if he didn't heal you. He's promised to heal you. If he didn't deliver you and your children, he's promised to deliver you. See, he's, that's why we have strong consolation. In other words, you can go to sleep at night. You can rest peacefully. Once you pray that prayer for your wayward child, you know, the one that's just hard-headed and don't seem to listen to nobody. Once you prayed that prayer, you can go to bed and go to sleep at night knowing that God will save him. He will serve God. All the promises that God has given you for your loved ones and for your offspring are yea and amen. Those things will happen and will come to pass. And so when you have strong consolation based on this oath and whatever promise God gives you. The bread at the communion table is symbolic of the promise of God. Amen. He says this bread represents my broken body, which for you will be healed. So when his that bread is broken, what that means is that he tore himself so that you can be made whole. So the bread represents the substitute of his broken body for your wholeness and for your soundness. So your wholeness is paid for. People, you know, I see people get discouraged. They'll have uh, children who um, have mental illness or bipolar or, uh, you know, all the alphabet soups they, they give you for your kids. You know, ADD, AFGFBDKCH. You know, they got so many alphabets they feed you for your child's condition. That means nothing to God. You understand me? That's a man's label on a promise of his to you. Yet your child is God's promise to you of everything in his covenant. So that label means nothing when it's trying to attach itself to a promise of God. Don't look at your children as human. Look at them as promises. Spiritual promises of God. Walking around with flesh on. Everything of this earth is temporal and temporary anyway. You know, some of those kids will go into foster homes and start being loved and cared for by somebody who even related to them. 
And God sees that effort and he decides to open a child's mind up again where they can be normal. And they can get understanding and they can learn and make a life for themselves. So we never have to settle for the world's diagnosis on our lives or the lives of our loved ones or anybody. Because he could swear by no higher. He swore by himself. Himself took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. He took them away. Where did he take them to? You don't know and you don't want to know. And I don't know. And the devil don't know. Huh? When the devil comes to you with symptoms, he's not bringing, bringing real disease. Jesus paid for that already. Anything he breathes is a lie or temporary or something, but it's got to move because himself took the sickness that was a part of the curse that's been taken away. The devil doesn't know where it is. So when he tries to bring you sickness and you, you know you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor, they say you got a It's the devil's imitation trying to make you accept that God never took that off of you. It's temporary at the most. You know, Lillian Yeomans had people with, with terminal TB, and they didn't have a cure for it back in that day. It was a, a turn of the century, ninth, 20th century, turn of 20th century. And she would take people into her home and give them a scripture to read for themselves. And in three days, 99% of people walked out healed. If they didn't leave out healed, she'd pray for them and find out what was keeping but they were supposed to be healed. Didn't Jesus say that? Ought not this daughter of Abraham? She ought to be healed. She's supposed to be healed. She's supposed to be well. We're not supposed to be sick because of what he's done for us. The oath and the promise to give us strong consolation in God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Himself took our infirmity. He took them away. Never to be brought back again. So what the devil tries to hand us is not the curse. He don't have power over no curse. He barely making it himself. Doesn't own anything. Anybody mess up heaven is a moron. You know? He's crazy. And he's not to be believed or listened to. Not by a child of God. You resist that and you refuse it on the authority of the oath and the promise that God's made for us. It's ratified in the blood of his son. His blood speaks better things. Amen. It doesn't speak anything of the law. You know, it doesn't speak, you know, the, the curse that's attached for disobedience. Your disobedience was taken care of. You're righteous. You live in righteousness now. You live in a commodity that they couldn't live in, in the old, under the old covenant. It's a continual righteousness that increases in its fruit as you live for God and as you obey God. So in other words, you ain't nearly as bad a character as you was three or four years ago. You understand what I say? You're getting better all the time. Amen? Because of his righteousness, because of your yield to his righteousness. Amen? And that righteousness, there's no law against that. Amen? There's no law against righteousness. Like Jacob said, he said, let my righteousness talk for me. And you say, huh? 
Jacob stole everything. He was stealing. Before he was born, he was stealing from his brother. Huh? The brother Jacob was coming out first and, and, and uh, uh, Esau was coming out first and Jacob caught his heel and tried to steal from him then. He was a thief from the time he was born. Huh? But he said one day, my righteousness will talk for me. Yeah. Huh? Had a conversion. Huh? Had a conversion. And that's what we've had. We're no longer uh, sinners saved by grace. Merely. You understand? Don't ever use that word about yourself again. You're not a sinner. Amen? Uh, what is that song? What's his name? I hate that song. I shouldn't say hate, should I? But it's not. There's no. Yeah, we fall down and we get up. Yeah, that's not what we do. What he said, a sinner is just, a saint is just a sinner who fell down and got up. What was you doing while you was, well, I ain't going to even ask what you was. Somebody saw it. Well, anyway, praise the Lord. I was digressing again. Let's pray. Amen. Little Howard, you want to put our worship music on? If you need uh, me to pray for you, come up. I'm going to impart the healing anointing, the glory of God again for those of you who didn't receive it yesterday. I'll, I'll ask God how to do it this time. But I do want to pray for those of you who came to be prayed for. If you're not well in your body. Amen. You got symptoms. You got a diagnosis. Whatever you want to call it. It's a lie. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So we're going to pray. Pastor Shirley's going to help me. So Miss Nola, you can start lining them up now. Amen. Praise God. God is so good. He wants us to be confident in our healing. Amen. He wants us to be confident in the things that he has for us. Always abounding in confidence toward him. Praise God. Thank you, Lord.